Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. When you bring home your paycheck at the end of the week or the end of the month, that is something God did. And when we forget that and we make this disconnect in our minds between what I earn and what God gives, then, you know, we've missed it. We're not going to have an easy time sharing that stuff. But if I come home saying this is all God's stuff, I might be able to share it. When you see someone in need, what is your gut response? Most people have an innate desire to help others, but may not feel like they can. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares reminds us that everything we have is from God and it's our duty to share. We're continuing our message on generosity and we'll join Pastor Mike in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Just as David and his soldiers come across an Egyptian man in desperate need of food and water. Well, let's get started. Verse 11 says that as they're going along with these 400 men going, I'm not sure if they knew where they were going. They were just trying to pursue these people without any real clues to this point. But God had said, I'll give you success. And either by the guidance of God or just the logic of where these raiding desert nomads might have been, they started south. And after they crossed the ravine, they find an Egyptian in a field. The text tells us later that he was near death. He was barely conscious. He was famished and exhausted. But when they came across this Egyptian in the field, they brought him to David. And you might think, if you know anything about biblical history, that if a Jew finds an Egyptian, he'd be a perfect target for torture or, or murder because the Jews and the Egyptians in the Old Testament didn't get along very well. You saw the movie, right? Why should they mess with him? Now, if you've read the rest of the story, it's no fair because you know he's going to be instrumental in David finding the Amalekites and getting his family back. But if you read this and you don't know where this is going, you're thinking David and his men find an Egyptian by the side of the road. Big deal. Let him die. We're busy here. We're trying to get to find these people that have taken our families. But instead of them bringing this Egyptian to David and David saying, fine, off with his head, kill him. Look what David does, middle of verse 11. An incredibly generous thing. What does he do? He gives him water to drink and food to eat. Why did the Holy Spirit inscribe this here for us? Look at it. It says, he gave him a part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. It doesn't even make literary sense because I'm in the midst of this drama that's unfolding in this plot and now it has come to this tension. Will David get his family back and he's got to go find this raiding party and now all of a sudden we're explaining the, the menu. We're explaining what he fed this Egyptian. What's that all about? Well, perhaps if you've been to Israel, you might know that if you read this, a cake of, of pressed figs and, and three cakes of raisins, that's a pretty good meal for over there. <laughs> um, I guess that only makes sense if you've traveled there. But, you know, this is good rations. This is not the prisoner rations. This is not just giving him some old, you know, piece of bread and some water. It's telling us that David crossed a line in being kind to a guy that every cultural and ethnic rule should have been do away with him, let him die, kill him. And David does something extraordinarily gracious and extraordinarily generous. So far generous was it, and so generous was it that the narrator tells us exactly what he gave him. 
If you're taking notes this morning, you got your worksheet out, number one on your outline would be good for you to get down. You and I, if nothing else compels us to be generous, number one, be generous for God's sake. Do it for God's sake. Do it just because God said it's the right thing to do. The rabbis in the third century B.C. wrote these words to the Jewish community. It said, help the one in need for the commandment's sake. And in their need, don't send them away empty-handed. Lose your silver for the sake of your brother or your friend. Don't let it rust under a stone and be lost. Lay up treasure according to the commandments of the Most High, and it will profit you more than gold. Store up almsgivings in your treasury, and it will rescue you from every disaster. Better than a large shield and a sturdy spear, it will fight for you against your enemies. Well, here's the rabbi saying, if there's a need, you meet it. You are to be generous people. And you know what? The tacked on promise of the rabbis and of the Pentateuch was, if you do it, God will be good to you. As a matter of fact, the text reads this way in Proverbs 27. It says, when you give to the one in need, you lend to the Lord. Think about that for a second. If I let go of my precious stuff to meet the need in someone else's life, it's as though I'm lending money to God. Do you think God pays back loans? Yeah. Do you think his interest rate's pretty good? It's better than your CD in the bank. I can guarantee you that. He gives back. Now, if you flipped on your channel 40 this afternoon, you watch TV, you're going to see this principle completely maligned, adulterated, twisted, and it's going to be taught in all the wrong ways. Notice the carefully worded statement I just gave you, that we are to give and be generous for God's sake. You'll turn on the TV and they'll use this principle. Don't let them steal the principle from us because they can twist it, but they can't destroy it. They will tell you to give so you'll get. Now, if you give to get, whose sake are you giving for? You say you're giving for your sake. It is careful that we note that if we're going to be godly people, we give to meet needs, and we give to minister to people, and we give to be generous for God's sake, ultimately. And if you give for God's sake, you get God's attention. You give because you think God's some big candy machine or some slot machine. God's not interested in playing that game with you. Guys will get rich off of it on TV, but it ain't God's word. The Bible calls us to be generous for God's sake. We do it not so we can get. We do it because we're meeting needs and obedience to the scripture. So we let go of our precious stuff. And God responds, you bet he does. Look at the rest of this passage. He ate the cake, verse uh, 12. He was revived. He hadn't eaten for three days and three nights. And David said, hey, Egyptian, to whom do you belong and where do you come from? Now, what I'm supposing in this passage is that David doesn't know what he's just done. He doesn't know who this guy is. He's an Egyptian. He knows that much. He knows he's crossing the boundaries of his comfort zone to be generous. But he didn't know anything besides that. So tell me, uh, revived uh, dead guy by the side of the road, you know, uh, what's your story, right? And the guy says, well, I, I'm, I'm, verse 13, I'm, a, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. Oh, those terrible Amalekites. He doesn't know the Amalekites were the ones that raided Ziklag, right? He didn't know that yet. Yeah, my master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Carathites. Oh, yeah, those old Carathites. And the territories belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb. Well, that's not good. Those are, you know, brothers. I can see David not too happy with that. But, you know, kind of, oh, oh really? Okay, well, tell me more about your story. And then he says this, and we burned Ziklag. Boing, right? You burned Ziklag? I mean, you can see him standing up. What are you talking about? We're looking for the people that have burned Ziklag. And he's, he's just hit a gold mine now. I don't think he knew that. 
He wasn't trying to get some information out of this Egyptian guy. He just helped the guy. He was just being generous, I think, for God's sake. And all of a sudden, he hits the jackpot. And he finds out from this guy where they're at. He says in verse 15, can you lead me down to the raiding party? And he said, well, I can, but swear to me before God that you won't kill me or hand me over to my master, and then I'll take you down to them. And he led David down. Apparently, David agreed to that. And there they were, scattered all over the countryside, eating and drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder that they had taken from the Philistines and from Judah. Now, think about this. They thought all the Philistine uh, fighting men were up in Aphek or somewhere near northern Philistia fighting the Israelites. They had no idea 55 miles downstream here that David was going to get kicked out of the army and sent back and find his town raided, which they probably just raided a day or two ago. So they're having a party thinking, well, we made off with all these people. We got now all these future potential slaves. We're in good shape here. Let's have a party. And they're all blitzed. They're all half drunk. They're laying around thinking, no way in the world some angry dads and some angry husbands are going to march over the, the horizon and kill them. So they're totally unprepared. David's only got 400 guys left. He marches over the horizon and the hill, and it says in verse 17, David fought them. You can imagine the, the fury of, of these, is these Israelites. By the way, it was a capital offense in Israel to kidnap, and they had kidnapped all of their children and all of their wives, and the text says, so David fought them from dusk until evening the next day, and none of them got away, well, except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. Now, why would that note be in the text? Maybe because this was such a huge victory. If 400 men squeaked out through the door and left, remember the people attacking them, there are only 400. This was a huge victory that God supplied for David and his people. And what's the text say in verse 11, or verse 18? David then recovers everything. He recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought back everything. And is that all? No. Verse 20, he took all the flocks and the herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock saying, wow, this is David's plunder. Look at all this stuff we've got. Now look at how God responded. To what investment? Look at it again. Verse 12 part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. And for a part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins, what happens? All of a sudden, God provides for David the information he needed, uh, a, a guide to take them to the front door of the Malachite camp, and he ends up with all of his family back, all the soldiers' wives and their children back, and he's marching with all this good stuff that was there, all the plunder that they had amassed, the Amalekites, now David had as his plunder. You think God pays back? You bet he does. Are you tight with your possessions? You see a need, you're thinking, well, you can't afford that. You meet needs with your money. You meet needs with your possessions, and God will be generous to you. We don't do it for our sake. We do it for God's sake, and it's up to God how he wants to respond to it, but the goal for us is to love people with our stuff. And the Bible puts that as the priority number one for people making a claim to godliness because God so loved the world he gave and he expects us to give, to give of our time, of our money, of our resources, of our possessions, of ourselves. And so we need to give and we need to be generous for God's sake. Look at all that God did for David. Wow, big deal. Sure it was. Okay, let's take all the stuff, go back. They're marching, all this stuff. Look at the next verse. They come back to this ravine, the Bezor Ravine. And David came to the 200 men that had been too exhausted to follow him. 
And you can imagine the reception and just how happy these men were. Here these men were depressed and exhausted and out of strength. And there they were hanging out. All of a sudden they see this dust cloud come up and they hear, you know, uh, sheep bleeding and camels doing whatever noises the camels make. And here they come and they start seeing their children. And they start seeing their wives and their friends and their grandmas. And here they are. And I can just picture some of the soldiers down on one knee, hugging and tears coming down their cheek. Their children are back. And it's just a huge, huge, huge victory. 200 men, too exhausted across the ravine. 400 men already had their family. They're coming back. Happy day. It was a happy day. Everyone was greeted. And everyone was having a great time until verse 22. But the evil men... And the troublemakers among David's followers said, since these 200 wimpy guys didn't go out with us, and they didn't work with us, and they didn't cross the ravine with us, and they didn't have the stamina and the strength that we had, we're not going to share any of the plunder that we recovered. They can't have any of the stuff. Yeah, each man can take his wife and his kids and get out of here and go home, and all the wimpy people can split, but they're not getting any of the stuff that we got. I mean, you can see that, right? The, the American way. We earned it, man. That's our stuff. You sat around. All you did was stay with the baggage. You can just have your kids. We worked hard. We get overtime pay. Leave. Don't take any stuff. We get all this stuff. And David says, verse 23, uh, no, that's not the way we're going to do it. David replies, no, my brothers, you must not do that. Here's the theological perspective of David. Look at it. With what, underscore, the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed over to us the forces that came against us. Now look again up at verse 20. The people were saying, and everybody recognized, David and his men had earned this. This was David's plunder. And David all of a sudden has a completely different perspective on it and says, this isn't David's stuff. David didn't earn it. God earned it. He had a different perspective. He saw his stuff as God's stuff. And so he says in verse 24, who's going to listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. That'll put a hole in some of your Western American capitalistic concepts, right? I mean, we're so used to earning our stuff, our stuff. You know, the Bible's got a different perspective, the Bible has this perspective of sharing based on a theological foundation that what I earned was not my great accomplishment. It was God's grace at work through my life to supply for me things I really don't deserve and I could never earn. And so that if it, they're God's, they're a whole lot easier to share than if I view them as mine. Do you understand what I'm saying? If I know that what I have is really not mine, then I can share it a whole lot easier. You ask me for the keys to the rental car when I'm out of town sometime, no problem. You ask me for the keys to my car to borrow my car, that's a different discussion, right? You can borrow the rental car borrowing my car. I mean, that's a big deal. Why? Because I feel like it's mine. If it's mine, I take special care of it. If it's the rental car agencies, well, you know, you want to take it for a spin around the block, here's the keys. No big deal. The difference in perspective is everything. Number two on your outline. If you and I are ever going to be godly and make a claim to be godly Christ-like people, we've got to learn to be generous, not just because it's the right thing to do and not just because we know it's the command of Scripture, but in the back of our mind, we need to be always remembering. That's the way I put it. Remember who owns your stuff. Remember who owns your stuff. Remember whose stuff it is. It's really not something you earned. David makes it clear that godly people sensitive to God's perspective and the God connections in their life recognize that everything I have is God's. Psalm 24.1, what does it say? The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. 
except, of course, for the stuff that I earn, right? No. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. That's a great, wonderful, big platitude that floats around in the stratosphere somewhere. But if you bring that down into the realities of your life, that starts to be a painful statement. Put that over the, you know, front entryway of your home. This house is the Lord's and all it contains. Put it on the dashboard of your car. This car is the Lord's and everything in the glove box. You know what I'm saying? You've got to have the perspective of this is all God's down to the very nitty-gritty things. You have problems lending out something of yours. You have problems giving away some of your stuff. You've got to recognize it's all God's to start with. And David seems to have an easy time sharing what he knows is not really his. Is that important for us? Do you think we have a hard time with that in South Orange County? Keep your finger here. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 8 with me, please. Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I know you think, oh, you know, he's not talking to me because I live in an apartment. I don't have a lot of money. I know there are rich people in this church, but I'm not one of them, so he's not talking to me. Trust me, you are rich. One of the poor, I mean, pick the poorest people in Orange County, and they are richer than most people of all time, go back in time, and all around the world. We have so much. We have so much. And we have so much sometimes in our wealth. And I'm talking to you, even if you make the least amount of money in this whole entire auditorium, with all of our wealth, with all of our extra pairs of shirts and all of our meals that we eat, with all of our wealth, we start to find a little bit of this prideful perspective that creeps in that makes us think we earned it. Look at it, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Drop your eyes down to verse number 10. Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied. I'm looking around, I'm thinking that applies to most of us, right? When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise Yahweh, your God, for the good land he has given you. That's David's perspective. God gave us this stuff. And by the way, God never gives away anything. God lends stuff. Do you ever had somebody like a parent give you a present, you know, maybe a real valuable thing, and they say, I'm, I'm giving this to you to use, right? You can use it. as a, It's an indefinite borrow, but it's still mine. You can't sell it and you can't get rid of it. If you, want, you don't want it anymore, you give it back to me. You always feel ripped off when you have those kind of gifts. You think it's not really a gift. I want a gift that's mine and I can sell at the next garage sale, Dad, if I want to. And Dad says, no, I can give you this, but it's mine, really, and you just have it kind of as a, a definite loan. Well, that's the way God is. He never signs the title over to anything. That's why Mark's real careful about the words he uses when he talks about our kids. They're really not our kids. They're on loan to us. Have you noticed that? God never gives away anything. If you're in title insurance, I'm really sorry, but God never clears the title on anything. You can't get a clear title on this planet because the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Everything is God's. Anyway, when you've eaten and you're satisfied, praise God, the Lord your God, for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you've eaten and you're satisfied and you build those fine houses with those nice ocean views and you settle, that's not in there, but I added it, and settle down, see, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become, uh-oh, proud. And you will forget the Lord your God. Not that they forgot God completely. They forgot the God connection. That's what they're forgetting. The Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt from the land of slavery. He led you through the vast dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes, snakes and scorpions. He brought you uh, water out of the hard rock. He gave you manna to eat, something your fathers had known to humble you and test you so that 
in the end, it might go well with you. And you may say, here's the punchline to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Now, let's just stop and be honest with ourselves. We feel that way a lot of times, don't we? We bring home the check or we get the overtime bonus or whatever, and we're thinking, I earned that one, man. I remember going to work that day. I didn't feel I was to, or, you know, I remember going to college. My dad paid for the first half of college, and I had to end up paying for the second half. And I'm thinking as I'm paying these huge tuition bills, you know, working and being a student, and some of you did that, you just feel like if I ever make any money with these degrees, I'm going to think I earned it, right? Because I've, I've sweated, and I've worked, and I did the papers, and I even paid the bill. So I've earned it. And the Bible says, if you start thinking that way, if you start thinking it's by my power and the strength of my hands I produce that, then you're all wrong. Verse 18, it ought to be underlined in your Bible, highlighted, circled, starred, whatever you need to have it jump off the page. Look at it. But remember, God wants us to remember this, Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That means every single thing you have comes from God. And you may say, no, 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 I'm a brilliant this, or I'm a brilliant that, or I've done great. You couldn't think straight tomorrow at work if God didn't keep your mind firing the way it's supposed to. You couldn't see straight, you couldn't hear, your tongue would shrivel up in your mouth if God didn't provide the abilities you have to earn the paycheck you earn. Therefore, when you bring home your paycheck at the end of the week or the end of the month, that is something God did. And when we forget that and we make this disconnect in our minds between what I earn and what, I, and what God gives, then, you know, we've missed it. We're not going to have an easy time sharing that stuff. But if I come home saying this is all God's stuff, I might be able to share it. I might be able to part with it. So be generous, if for nothing else, for God's sake. Number two on your outline, back to 1 Samuel 30. What do we need to do? We need to remember where this stuff comes from. We need to remember who gave us this stuff. We need to remember whose stuff it really is. Keep that in mind. It's not yours. You may feel like you've earned it by your incredible talents or skills or, or intelligence, but God did it. God did it. And David had to remind the people of that. Oh, I know you strong guys who crossed the ravine. You thought you're a lot stronger, but God dishes out the strength. God dishes out the perseverance. And so you share it with people that don't have it. It's okay. God does it and God gets credit. Next verse. This was such a big thing in David's mind. In verse 25, David made this statute, this a statute and an ordinance for Israel from that day until this. David said, this is the way it's always going to be because I don't want people to ever forget the God connection, that God gives us this stuff and it's all God's. You may say it's David's plunder, but I know it's God's plunder. God gives us this stuff and it's all God's. An important reminder about who gets the credit today from Pastor Mike Fabares. You're listening to Focal Point and a message titled, Generosity, It Really Is Next to Godliness. Now, if you want to download the PDF study notes or listen to the full-length message from the beginning, you'll find these resources online at focalpointradio.org. Focal Point is here to provide you with biblical answers to the questions you face every day. And did you know that as you listen right now, you're joined by thousands of others across the country, maybe even around the world, who are tuning in on the radio, the Focal Point mobile app, on our website, or through the various podcasting options? All these are completely free, and that's because listeners just like you give to cover the cost. We're counting on folks who share our passion for straightforward Bible teaching to help support this ministry with a financial gift. Now, if you believe in this work, then please give today by calling 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. We're so grateful for your support. 
To express our gratitude for your gift this month, we'll send you a book about what it means to love God's Word. It's called How to Eat Your Bible by Pastor Nate Bickowitz. We know we're supposed to love Scripture, but regular Bible study can be challenging. The practical guidance in How to Eat Your Bible will help you cultivate an appetite for lifelong study of God's Word. Request your copy by calling us at 888-320-5885 or give and request the book online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending a check, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And we'd like to invite you to join our online community of believers. Find us at focalpointradio.org slash connect. Or follow us on social media at facebook.com slash pastormike and twitter.com slash pastormike. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again on Tuesday as we learn from King Saul's bad example of how to not finish well, right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.